everyone. Welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and colleague, Mr. Marty Miller. How are you, Marty? Great, Wendy. How are you? I'm just living a dream. I'm loving today's topic. As you and I both know, we're getting more and more into performance, especially uh, if you guys are training basketball players or you've got clients or even youth that are getting ready to start their uh, fall activities. We start talking a lot about power and questions come up. Um, is it appropriate for all populations, which we will cover. We hear, I don't know what to do with my client because she's a senior. Um, but, you know, we talk about the importance of power. Would this be beneficial? We're definitely going to go over that plus so much more. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited for today's topic because anytime we can jump into one of the phases of the OBT model, it really allows us to go back to why the model was created how every phase is important, but then sometimes just taking that extra time to digest one of those phases, I think really opens up people's ideas on programming and like, man, I have skipped out on this phase. And there's always a reason each phase is in the model. So that's why I'm excited to jump into today's topic. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. So the questions that we commonly get, I know I went over some of them. However, when should you uh, progress this client to phase five? get that very often. And y'all are already going to know the answer, especially if you listen to Marty and I weekly. Um, should all clients perform this phase five? What are the best exercises for phase five? And do you program a phase five workout? Like, how would you do that? And we are actually going to provide you with an example. Yeah, I love phase five. I was actually doing it yesterday, not uh, solely in preparation for today's topic, but that's where the program or my program has been. So I've got a very fond memory of phase five from yesterday. Uh, well, I have one. Um, the very first time I did this and, and I, I always tell this story. I think it's super, super important that when you are going through each and every phase of the model that you take time and go through the acute variables and actually perform that phase of training yourself. Because you, when you're looking at it on paper, it seems like, oh, it's really not that bad. We hear that very often in phase one. However, when we get to phase five, people are like, well, I love throwing med balls around and I love moving quickly and this should be fun. However, as we go through and start talking about the supersets, you don't appreciate the one through five strength going into as powerful or as explosive as you can control until you put it into a superset. So I've actually been almost knocked my own self out um, because I threw a really heavy medicine ball and it came back so fast and I wasn't prepared to catch it that um, it, it actually opened my eyes to understanding, oh yeah, this isn't as easy as it looks. <laughs> well, and that's why you have to be your first client. And when, you know, a little sidetrack is, you know, people have asked, should I even just do the personal training course? I say, worst case, you're going to know how to train yourself the rest of your life, whether you ever go into this industry or career. But with that being said, by going through these phases, you can really appreciate what your clients are going to go through. You can tell them your experiences. And sometimes you learn those little nuances that are going to only make it better for your clients. So you have to practice it, experiment on yourself first. You are always going to be your first client. Or you always should be your first client. If you're not already, you need to kind of reevaluate yourself very, very often. And the first thing you should do is exactly what this slide says, which is you need to do an assessment, guys. The assessments are going to show you, give you the blueprint and tell you, you know, what is it safe for me to start in this phase or is it safe for me to progress to the next phase? And, you know, when you're looking at phase five, 
people are not always going to be perfect. Marty, we, we've discussed this. Is this person going to have compensations? We hope not, because if not, they really shouldn't be doing as powerful and as heavy as they can lift. However, if it's something slight, if it's something that's just starting, when you're getting into phase five, you may have to go back and visit phases one and two, make sure that you are going to specifically work on that compensation that you're noticing. But if you know that they've been going up and down and you're undulating through that model, then you, if once you know that they're ready to go in phase five, they should have little to no compensations. You shouldn't really see anything going wrong. And then at that point, you're going to know, all right, you know what? I see a little bit of a wobble. It's not really a compensation. I feel comfortable at phase five. But then when you're reprogramming or programming the week, especially if they're two or three times a week, I would strongly suggest maybe visiting, you know, maybe a phase one. Like if they come in on phase on Monday, they would do a phase five. Come in on, on uh, Wednesday, maybe a phase one. And then either do a phase five again on Friday, or you could even do a phase two. And just start out with once a week in phase five, if you're just not sure, but but you're also knowing that this client is very, very new to this type of superset. Yeah. And when we progress people, right, Wendy, you and I've talked about this in other podcasts, you have to know your progressions and regressions. So if I progress into a new phase, I'm going to regress the complexity of the exercise. So there's nothing wrong with having a more complex exercise that they, maybe they mastered in a previous phase. But when you go to the new phase where the progression could be the intensity or the metabolic demand or whatever it may be, go back to a very simple form of it. So there's nothing wrong with do a, doing a seated med ball chest pass. I don't need to do plyo push-ups and all those type of things, right? I'm just not ready for that yet. So the phase itself can be the progression. So then you have to regress the complexity of the exercise. And then from there, you can start working back in your progressions and regressions. So I love this question and, and I put it on here because we get it all the time. And Marty, when somebody says to you, should everyone do phase five? Is it safe and can it be done in seniors? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I'm going to say, and you know, Wendy, you might wonder where I'm attacking this at first, but I'll say this is the most important phase and the, the most mandatory phase. And the reason being is because I wouldn't progress somebody there until they've gone through the other phases. So one check. If I'm going to get them to phase five and know the importance of it, that means they've done correctives. That means they've done phase one stabilization endurance and at least phase two with the strength endurance. The reason that I say the power is so critical is if you look at the three major building blocks of the OPT model, stabilization, strength, or power, you're going to lose your power adaptations the fastest if you don't train them. And you could say, well, a senior, do they really need power? Yeah, I'm going to argue they may need it more than other people because what if they trip and fall? What if they have to re-catch their balance stepping off a curb? That is still power training for them. It may not be the explosive stuff, Wendy. You and I have worked with elite golfers and their club up speed is 120 miles per hour or their vertical jump with some of your basketball players could be 42. No, they don't need that type of power. But their power is still stepping off a curb and catching their balance. Or God forbid, if they fall, can they decelerate their body weight before they have a catastrophic fall? But then also now that everybody is an athlete, we have a lot of seniors who all of a sudden they retire or they have time in their schedule. They want to play pickleball, tennis, or golf. Those you're, you're a rotational athlete, power athlete at that point. So it's critical. It's essential. It's fun. But yes, everyone has to do it. And I'm going to second that because is it safe? 
it should be safe. If you are the trainer designing a program, you need to always make sure first and foremost that it is very safe for your client. And if you are training a senior, to, to Marty's point, everyone needs to move for the speed of life. And what's explosive and fast for me might be completely different for Marty or completely different than, than a grandparent. And so we want to make sure that if somebody's walking across the street and all of a sudden the, the light is turning yellow and they have to hurry across, that they've got the demand, their body knows how to handle that increase of speed to get across the street before the light turns green and they get hit. So when we when we bring this up, I, I actually authored one of the program or the program design chapter in the new um, what we called senior fitness. But now it's the active older adult. That was one of the things that I emphasized. Most every person that you meet on the street should go through stabilization, strength and some sort of power because we use that. We move in all three planes. We move at different speeds. And so it doesn't matter the age. Plus, I know a lot of seniors that are probably in better shape than myself, you know, running marathons and doing all this stuff at, at older ages. And just because someone is aging doesn't mean that they should be, you know, not use utilizing the model. So is it safe? It, it should be. If not, it's a programming thing and you're responsible for that. But should everyone do it as long as they can and you modify it? Instead of it being when we go through and we talk about phase five, it's a superset. If you're doing reps, it may not be one to five. Maybe you do eight. Is that the end of the world? No, but you want it to be heavy for them, but always watch the five kinetic chain checkpoints. Yeah. And the old saying, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Right. So that's why we have an undulating program and that's why we build into power. You have to earn that right but it is essential for every single person to do an appropriate level phase five workout. Yes. And today on the master instructor Roundtable, Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts were talking about phase five and the importance of it. We did get this from an email from one of our listeners. So always thank you for reaching out to us. We did one in the past about phase two and the superset, and they wanted to know a little bit more about the difference. So when we talk about phase five, we are focusing on strength and power and this being a superset. We've discussed the importance always of the assessment, but now let's talk about the training protocol. So the acute variables, and we have a chart on the next, next slide, but let's just talk about this um, in general. So we're trying to increase the rate of force production. So either through, you know, basically through speed and the muscle contraction and how our body can react in a very quick motion. And that's what we're really focusing. That's the outcome and goal of this. And so this is going to use that, superset, which is going to um, be able to do that. And that's how we increase the rate of force production. We increase the speed. And so when we're looking at the superset itself, we're looking at a heavy, heavy resistance training exercise. So it will be on a stable surface. For example, a chest press with a barbell. Most of us know what that looks like. Most of our clients love that. And so they would perform one to five reps of that particular exercise. And then they would immediately, not without, you don't take a break. You immediately go into something that mimics that movement, but it's explosive and powerful as they can, can control utilizing that same biomechanic motion that they just did in the strength portion. So when we're looking at intensities and Marty and I will go through this on the next slide, I'll let Marty kind of read through that one, but we're looking at 85 to 100% of what they have. Now, again, can we bury this? Yes. What can they lift heavy? And then at that point, try to do one to five repetition, especially if you're trying to get power 
And then you're going to lighten your load to anywhere from 30 to 45% of that. And, or you're like, even if you're using body weight, that's totally fine, but you're going at, at a high speed. And so would we stay here forever? No, it's not the, oh, it's phase five. I'm done with this. And, and, and that's it. I live in phase five. It's very important to cycle back through earlier phases, do this from two to six weeks. And you should start to see that when you go back and cycle through, you're going to be able to lift more than you did the first time around utilizing the model. You're going to be able to be more advanced in some of your exercise selections. And when you go back in and do one, let's say one, two and five on different types of the week or however, you know, Marty and I design it for our, our client, it will just make sense. Yeah. And Wendy, I've been asked questions before, and I'm sure you have too, with the superset, like why the heavy first, then the light, can you do it the opposite? You know, NASM is an evidence-based model and it's been researched for 20 plus years now, probably 25 plus because, you know, uh, Wendy, you and I have been studying it since the early 2000s. So it's been even researched prior to that, but there is a phenomenon that we're going for. It's called post-activation potentiation. The all or none theory, as we know from muscle fiber contraction, either the muscle fiber fires or it doesn't. There is no 20%, 30%, 40% of a muscle fiber firing. It's just what percentage of the muscle fibers within that muscle or movement pattern are actually activated. So the heavy load gets as many of the muscle fibers that you're capable of uh, exciting, ready to go, and then you move explosively. So that is, you know... PAP training now is all of the rage in sports performance and fitness. Well, NASM's had this in their model since the early, late nineties, early two thousands. So, you know, here we go again, that the model was always ahead of its time. So that's the phenomenon. And that's why the superset is the way it is. Pick something up heavy, get the central nervous system excited, and then teach it how to move explosively. You just like to talk about PAP. It's Love a really it. fun thing to say. It makes you sound really smart, Marty. <laughs> right. But again, it's been in the model for 25 years. So it's, it's all new in fitness and Instagram, but mm, sorry, it's been around. Nothing new. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. All right. Well, let's talk about these acute variables. And, and remember, when we discuss the acute variables, especially if you're new to the model or you're a new trainer, the acute variables that are the, all of this is provided within the textbook. And all that means are these are examples and ranges that you should utilize in order to achieve the goal of that phase. Same holds true for phase five. So when we're talking about the warmup, um, Marty, I'll do the extended warmup, if you will. But when we're talking about flexibility, we are still going to start out with, with self-myofascial technique, whether you're using some sort of a foam roller, whether you're using a vibration device, whatever it is that is going to downregulate overactivity, that still happens in phase five because people seem to sometimes get confused that because they didn't see anything going wrong in the assessment and they're in phase five, that the flexibility doesn't have to be done because they're already moving well. While they may not have compensations, if you're going to be utilizing a lot of muscles and you know what commonly become tight or overactive, foam rolling the calves, kind of just doing a general overall kind of foam roll just to see if anything feels like, you know, it, it needs to be just kind of relaxed a little bit. That is where you're going to benefit, be very, or get a lot of benefit and then immediately go into your dynamic warm up. We won't need to do static stretching if there's not a muscle that needs it. We don't go into active if we don't need it. But the dynamic warm-up, 
as a definition, it's the full available range of motion. So hopefully at that point, once you've gone through your rolling, you'll go into your dynamic flexibility. That's warming up the body, getting yourself prepared for the demand that you're going to have in resistance. Then you're going to go into your core, your balance, and your plyos. Now, some of this you're going to see that it's optional that you don't have to do it. For example, you know, do you have to do plyometric? you know, as your warm up, if you will, not really, because you're going to be doing a lot of plyometrics throughout the entire workout. However, I usually don't skip those personally when I'm designing a program, because I want to make sure that I've got muscles activated, that I've got good balance and control, and I'm able to maximize what I'm going to do in the resistance and my body has been prepared. So when we're talking about core balance and plyo, I usually do one or two sets of that. However, it's going to be up to you. It's going to be how you feel that client, you know, what's more beneficial for them. And then at that point, you're going to go through and Marty, I'll let you take through the resistance. Yeah. So then you see, you know, when you did a great job explaining it, then you see skill development again. And then now you're going to transition into the resistance, which is the body of the workout. So the sets, right? If this is somebody's first time through, we're okay if you even start with one set the first time, but from a conditioning standpoint to get the adaptations we're looking for, we're looking for that three to five sets. Now a set from a clarity standpoint is both the strength and the power exercise. That super set is the set. Sometimes I think people look at that as too different. Nope. That's why it's a super set. So we start with the strength. We recommend one to five. However, as Wendy said earlier, if you have to go to six to eight or so, because that's just safer, absolutely no problem. Then we're going to go immediately, just like we did in our strength endurance. As soon as you're done with the first exercise, you immediately, as fast as you can, go into the second. So let's use chest because I'm a guy. And of course, that's what we're going to use. Dumbbell or barbell chest press right into an explosive med ball throw. One to two minutes between the pairs. So after the superset, I'm going to give myself one to two minutes and then a three to five minutes between a circuit, depending on how you're undulating your program. Are you going horizontal or vertical load. I could do chest, then chest, then chest. If I'm in condition, right? We, Wendy, you and I have used this with basketball players, mixed martial artists, where their cardio is in tune and they can get their heart rate down. I could go one to two minutes max. And then, or, you know, if I'm going to do chest, chest, and chest, but sometimes we might go right from chest superset to back superset into a leg superset, then give them three to five minutes in between that circuit because metabolically they can do multiple supersets in a row. You got to gauge your client. If they're not in great cardiovascular shape, you're going to want to make sure that you give them time in between the supersets. So you'll see the load is there one to five reps and then the eight to 10 reps or 35 to 45% of their one rep max. And then, you know, uh, as I said before, it's that heavy weight into that speed. So make sure that uh, the exercises are show, uh, chosen appropriately. And then, Wendy, I'll throw it back to you for the new part of this, the client's choice. Yeah, client's choice. If they don't, if they're not having fun and they're not enjoying it, they're not going to want to come back. I mean, you're trying to, to make sure that what they're doing is safe. You want to program things that are going to help them achieve their goal, which is the reminder of why they're coming to see you. However, if somebody wants to do biceps and they always want to do triceps, that's okay. Give them their biceps and triceps. Do you have to superset those? You do not. However, you know, if you want to, you can just think about what muscle group is, you know, are you focusing on? And then at that point, how do you want to train it? So if you want to do bicep curls and you're doing one to five reps, and then you grab a piece of tubing and you start doing this as fast as you can, 
that's totally up to you. If you want to just do something heavy and you have them just do 12 repetitions because it's something, you know that they're going to be using a lot of arms anyway. And most of the things they're doing, especially if you're doing medicine ball throws or slams or, you know, push-ups, whatever it is, your arms are also being worked. However, they like to feel just their bicep curl. And that's just an example. So give them, as Marty says, give them what they want while, um, you are making sure you're giving them what they need. You say it way more elegantly than I do, Marty. That's However, right. that is really important to make sure to compliance. You're also letting them enjoy, you know, giving them that thing. Now, if it's not safe, that's when you would talk to them. But if they're already in phase five, you already have a good idea of what they like. So you don't always have to ask them what they want to do. I usually program like something based, especially if it's an, a workout that I know they're not going to like. It's a lot of those exercises that they're like, oh man. And then when they start to look at me and pout, I throw in that one thing that they enjoy. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important thing is to make them have some ownership in it, you know, and I'm always willing to veto potentially, but generally we can caress it to where they think they're getting what they want. And we just sneak what in needs to be done in the program, but that's the art of training versus the science of training. Right, Wendy. And then moving into the cool down, this is the part that people can't forget for any phase of training. Um, so make sure you program it, definitely schedule it into their workout the first time or two so you can teach it to them. Hopefully by phase five, they understand the importance of cool down and you've taught them that for their stabilization endurance and their strength endurance. But of course, we're going to go back to the self myofascial techniques for the areas that you trained, whether they're sore or not. This is just to get that body to reset so they're ready to come back the next time. Then you can do static stretching of any of the muscles that you targeted. So if you did chest or anything, lower body, you're going to go over those muscles that have that propensity to be tight on most people and or your clients. So things like the calf complex, hip flexor complex, adductor complex, lats, pecs, and then the muscles in and around the neck, you know, sternocleidomastoid, et cetera. So that's that kind of postural reset after you did the self-myofascial techniques, let the heart rate come down central nervous system kind of downregulate a little bit and then out the door they go. And just to reiterate, no matter what phase of training you're doing, when you're doing the cool down, foam roll first and then static stretch. It doesn't matter if you're in power, but we're trying to regain proper link tension relationships like, like Marty just talked about. So no matter what phase of training, that's always going to be the cool down. The only time we start to really change the flexibility components or the, you know, is at the beginning of the workout because in phase one, we're targeting muscles that are overactive from the assessment. And that's why we do that two, three, and four, when we're doing more active, we could throw in some static if we needed to, we really focus on reciprocal inhibition. So as we contract one, the opposing muscle has to relax. We do that for repetitions. And then now once we're up here again, in phase five, that's when we get into more dynamic. Now, we also have dynamic scheduled throughout, but if there are a lot of compensations, we're not going to be able to really maximize dynamic flexibility or, or uh, dynamic stretching. So just keep that in mind, too, of why we progress things and everything is a continuum. Everything is a progression. So here you're just maxing out as much as you can. But recovery is going to be key after this workout that we're going to show you next because it is very demanding on the body. Excellent. Let's move into that workout, give an example. So this is just an example, Wendy, I'll go to the warm up and uh, activation then turn that over to you. So you saw the acute variables. So we're gonna slide all that right over here and give you some samples. So 
Your typical self-myofascial techniques would be the calf complex, adductors, and lats. Tempo is that slow controlled one inch per second, that search and destroy mission. You're going to wait till you find a tender spot, hold it for up to 30 seconds or until it releases, and then you move on. So as Wendy said, you could do static, then active, then dynamic stretching. If I'm doing a workout first thing in the morning, I might go through that progression. But if I've already been up and moving throughout the day, I might just go right into my dynamic. So here we're focused just on the dynamic. So it would be a walking lunge with rotation, push up with rotation, leg swing side to side. So we're starting to get the body to move at a little bit of higher speed with control, right? It's not how fast I can go. It's how fast I can control. So there's nothing wrong with the first couple reps being slower, the middle reps at a moderate pace, and then the last couple reps at a higher pace, right? Just as long as those five kinetic chain checkpoints are maintained. Then activation, obviously, we've got one of Wendy's absolute favorites, the lateral tube walking. So if this is from uh, with one of your pro clients, I see why the black band is there. It's not about how much resistance you can use. And a lot of people overuse the resistance on the mini bands. But I know when Wendy has it, it's locked in. I know who this client is. They can absolutely accommodate that resistance. So that lateral tube walking to get that core and the um, glutes fire, especially the glute medius and that frontal plane. Two sets, 12 reps, controlled once again. And keeping that foot straight because a lot of people, when you get that resistance, their foot can start to turn out and you got to keep the core engaged. Then we have crunches with the med ball toss, getting that spine moving at a higher speed with some resistance. And then the single leg hop to hold frontal and transverse plane. So getting all three planes of motion in there between the lateral tube walking and even moving in the sagittal plane with the crunch, single leg hop to hold. So you'll see two sets of eight reps there and maintain that neutral arch of the foot. So there's a lot of other choices you would have here. But if you follow this, you're going to have a great activation for your core imbalance, getting that person ready from a movement standpoint, central nervous standpoint, uh, the ability to fire the muscles and stabilize and control before you get into that resistance. So Wendy, I'll turn that over to you. Yes. And so as Marty said, this is actually a real client. I did change their name. So you can look this person up all you want, but you will not find them. Or if so, you will find them and they're not my client that, and this was something that we really do with them actually before they're getting ready to go off to camp. And so when we look at, at this, Marty just talked about the warm up. Oftentimes they will come in and do their pre warm up themselves because they know exactly what they're doing. These are pro athletes. And so therefore I don't have to hold their hand in that. But when we do the superset, I do have them rest after each, like they'll go from one to two minutes and then we may repeat it. So you're going to have to decide on timing and what works best. But we would do something such as a chest press, a dumbbell chest press. I prefer dumbbells even when we're doing this because I want to ensure that what they're doing on the left side, they're doing on the right side. Sometimes when you use a bar that you're still going to be stronger on one side and the other one's just kind of along for the ride. I want to ensure that both sides are working as maximally and, and optimally as possible. So as soon as they're done with that chest press, we'll do anywhere from one to five reps. As you can see here, I've got five. I immediately have them go into a rotational chest pass. We do have a wall to make that happen. So just be sure at your own gym, if you're throwing something into a wall, that it's a cement wall and not a drywall. And then we would go into, um, if we're doing back, we do something such as a one-arm row into med ball slams. They would take a break for uh, shoulders. Now, again, remember shoulders, anytime you're doing any chest, you're doing anterior delt as well. So here we're doing more overhead presses. Is the anterior delt being involved? Is it working? 
Absolutely. However, we're not really trying to target and focus on that. One thing that we can also do is more reared out if we want to really think about, you know, making sure that we're not overtaxing one muscle. However, in this case, you'll see that we did an overhead chest press. And then, um, and then after that, we ended up doing a overhead toss and catch. And then, at, then as soon as we're done with that, I use a hex bar deadlift. Again, very heavy. They're only doing five repetitions and then immediately going into leg circuits. And so leg circuits, as you guys know, one of my favorite exercises, they do four exercises as fast as they can control. So not as fast as possible, but they still have to maintain proper alignment. They're getting taxed. It's very challenging. But for this example, they did 20 um, prisoner squats into 20 alternating lunges, 20 power step ups and 10 tuck jumps. So Marty, you can see this client's choice. I'll let you talk about that. However, it wasn't his choice. It was still mine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was sitting there as I was reading through. I'm like, I really don't think that because I know exactly who this is. I'm like, I don't think that this is what he chose. But I'm, I'm, glad, that, I'm glad that you made him think he chose this. So sled push is a phenomenal uh, power output exercise, whether it's for your leg power, whether it's metabolic conditioning. What I love about it is one leg is always in contact with the ground. So there's less running, less jumping, it forces core engagement. And we're always looking at that risk versus reward. Doesn't mean I don't like jumps. Doesn't mean I don't like running, but everybody could push a sled. Now, a sled push could be just a moderate walk tempo for some athletes. And again, everybody's that athlete, or it could be explosive, right? But the thing is you're getting great triple flexion, great triple extension, great core engagement. So this here at 125 yards is more of a metabolic conditioning. If you're looking at it as you could use this as that uh, heavy exercise, you'd have a very short distance and heavy load. Or if you want to use it as the power exercise, you'd have more of a moderate weight and you'd want to see quicker with the leg turnover. So you can still use it. And in this situation, it's a phenomenal finisher from a metabolic conditioning standpoint. So I love it. I know what you're, we're talking about the Technogym skill run where the treadmill automatically converts it. You get the data, you can start to see the fatigue and all that, or power output. You can still use a sled on the ground. It's a little bit harder to track. You don't get quite the, you're not going to get any data really, except they push it from A to B, but a sled push is something I would highly recommend every single client gets into at some point. And to that point, Marty, you know, with, with the, the, uh, Technogym, equipment the reason i we do that specifically with this player is because in the past before me he was injured and was having some knee issues and so they went in and cleaned it out i'm trying to ensure that what he's doing on the left leg is the same as his right and seeing if there's any differentiation that's significant that i should be aware of throughout his training before we we take him to camp now again this is an example of someone getting ready to go to camp. Would I do this on day 1 phase, you know, phase 5 day 1? Absolutely not. Here I said one of 12, but this would be something where you want to bring in bring them in slowly. Plus after a leg circuit and they're giving 100% as fast as they can control going into this metabolic conditioning that Marty talked about for the distance it's because of the minutes they need to spend on the court. They need to, to really work their lungs, work their ability. When they think they can't do it, I'm showing them that they can. So it depends on your client. This is something I would not suggest, especially in the beginning, work your way up to that. But this is an, a true example of something that I have programmed successfully, mind you, with a client. Yeah. And Wendy, recently on one of my coffee talks, we talked about using data, right, as a decision-making process, especially in cardiovascular training. So 
if you're not doing it, you're losing the opportunity to program for your client, but also that data is going to tell you where they're at. Are they overtraining? Are they not training enough? Do they still have gas in the tank or are the, you know, the wheels kind of falling off the bus? So, you know, that's where, you know, I know why you use it because you're really looking for those specific outcomes. And again, you're going to prove to that athlete with the data, Hey, look at what you did. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And this is getting ready to bring him into phase six, that if you guys have gone through our NASM performance enhancement specialization course, you're going to know that we're working on maximum power at that point. And so it is kind of, this is now kind of a blend mm-hmm. and, and ensuring that, that he's going to be prepared for that as well. So if you have not seen phase six, and remember the model used to be seven phases, one was now CES, seven is now PES, and that's where we get our one to five. So just keep that in mind that there is still one other like step above what we're just showing you in phase five, especially if you're just going through the CPT, there are ways to even make them more powerful. And so it's something that maybe if you're interested in to look into next. Great point. And then of course, you've got the cool down. We talked about it uh, the last slide with the Q variables, self myofascial techniques with the calf complex, adductors and lats, same cues, same notes static stretching, those same muscles, and then the coaching tips throughout five kinetic chain checkpoints have to be maintained, you know, feet forward, knees over second or toes, hips and shoulders and neck in that neutral position, always looking at those to make sure that there's no breakdown because that's either mental or physical fatigue that could be setting in. Well, Marty, this is always fun. Again, these are one of my favorite topics. I love talking anything performance and power. I just, I don't know. It's just, it's fun to do as a trainer. I really enjoy working with clients when they get to that level at any, at any age, at any age. So youth as well as pro athletes and everyone in between. So don't limit anyone just based upon their age. Be very smart in your programming. Watch the five kinetic chain checkpoints, as Marty just said program something that makes sense and then at that point if you guys have questions after reviewing what we did and looking over the program you can always reach out to me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on instagram at wendy.bats13 and my information is coming up so my instagram is dr.martymiller72 and then email marty.miller at nasm.org so wendy thanks for a great topic i'm glad uh one of our amazing uh, nasm family members reached out to you thank you for attending today and we look forward to seeing you next week on the master instructor roundtable